Dear listeners, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. As all of us are adjusting our lifestyles and routines to accommodate the quickly expanding stay-at-home orders due to the COVID-19 pandemic, so too is the operation of our beloved Tacoma Radio adapting to do our part to limit the spread of the virus. As I mentioned on our previous episode two weeks ago, which is a hundred years ago if you're doing the conversion to corona years, this means we have sadly stopped having in-studio guests. This is a pretty big adjustment for Interfaith-ish in particular because our chosen format is built in on the idea of having two guests here with me in dialogue, looking each other eye to eye and seeing each other through the window of each other's souls. Well, the window I'm most used to at this point is the one on my internet browser, and I have to admit my spirits are feeling already a little weary. But I'll tell you, dear listeners, my heart is lifted each time I get to speak with friends. And this whole experience that we're sharing has been a great excuse to reconnect with folks all around the world, uh, some of whom who I haven't spoken to in many years. And I've recorded a bunch of great conversations in addition to this show that I'll be making available on our podcast feed. So check out Interfaith-ish wherever you find podcasts, and you can enjoy these multi-faith perspectives from around the globe. Here's a taste. A couple of pastors in the beginning, I think, defied the orders when the ban was placed on gatherings beyond 25 people. Mm -hmm. some, some pastors went ahead to have service. I think a pastor in Kumasi was arrested for that because they, as I said, they think faith somehow overrides common sense. So I think for now, a lot of pastors are trying to teach their members that, that you know what, there's a place for common sense in faith or in spirituality. So do what the medical team people have asked you to do and you'll be fine. What about with your kids? What sort of uh, educational approach are you guys taking with them? Well, I have seven. <laughs> yeah, you've been busy, seven kids. <laughs> Uh-huh. Are there um, other aspects of the way you're conducting your relationships or organize your own daily routine that you're rethinking now? Definitely, yes. I mean, spending so much time with people that you don't usually spend that time with uh, is an eye-opener. Uh, I mean, sometimes I, I think that it is... Uh, a bliss that we do not spend 24-7 with the people we love because this will cause us to love them less. <laughs> uh... I hope you enjoyed that short excerpt from some of the conversations I've had this past week with friends in Venezuela, Ghana, and Egypt. You can find the full conversations and more on our podcast feed. Just search for Interfaith-ish and listen to some insightful perspectives from around the globe 
about how people are coping with the pandemic and how their faith traditions are informing their response. Right now, dear listeners, I want to turn to a story that hasn't received a lot of attention amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. Last week, a group of armed gunmen killed 25 Sikh worshippers at a Gudwara, or a uh, Sikh house of worship, in Kabul, Afghanistan. ISIL has claimed responsibility for the attack against the religious minority, which has faced persecution for decades in that country. And as we know, dear listeners, this is just the latest major attack on followers of the Sikh religion in recent years. Here in the U.S., a racist killed seven worshippers in Oak Creek, Wisconsin in 2012, and there have been numerous hate crimes against Sikhs since 9-11, with Islamophobic perpetrators often confusing Sikhs for Muslims. So a few days ago, I learned about a solidarity effort being organized in Northern Virginia with interfaith partners from across the region to once again stand together against hate and bigotry, both at home and abroad. So I reached out to a couple of the principal organizers and longtime collaborators, Priscilla Martinez of the Nations and Tribes in Harmony Foundation and Adarsh Khalsa with the Raj Khalsa Gudwara. We spoke uh, yesterday via video call. Yeah, so I just wanted to to start by by talking to the both of you, really just to hear a little bit about each of your own faith backgrounds. That's typically how we start the show, is to, to hear about how everyone is um, has has come to to their understanding of their religious faith at this point. So, Adarsh, could you could you start? Could you tell us a little bit about about yourself, where you grew up, and and what your your tradition yes, is? Yes, I um, um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Um, and I grew up in a Jewish family, and I never expected to move outside that realm. And. Um, uh, New York has everything, you know, yes. so it was there that I was exposed to some of the New Age traditions and philosophies, and I found that I gravitated towards the practice of Hatha Yoga, mm. and uh, in my explorations with Hatha Yoga, I encountered Sikhs. And I never expected that I would choose to change the way that I look and dress and eat and <laughs> conduct myself. Um, but, you know, certainly it was uh, the will of some energy that I should have this sense of connection among Sikhs. And I became a Sikh when I was, uh, I suppose, 29. Mm. And um, um, I have just dived deeper and deeper into my faith. And um, I find it more and more rewarding and valuable every day of my life. So I continue. Beautiful. Were you in a particularly religious Jewish household growing up? No. 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 Uh, so, no. so was was this process of joining the Sikh community 
Um, did it go over well with the rest of your family, or was there a, a conflict Nothing there? Nothing went over well. <laughs> <laughs> they had some opinions. So, uh, so, no, it did not go over well. But, but you know, in the later years, um, I felt that there was a lot of acknowledgement hmm. and appreciation and... Um, uh, I think that they were bewildered, hmm. um, but but you know somehow blessed and somehow grateful and appreciative. So that was quite nice. Hmm. And and um, and you've been involved then with the Sikh community. Did, you know, the, you mentioned that it it. It seems like it asked of you a, a a transformation take place, not just a a spiritual transformation, but your your code of conduct, your your way that you're carrying yourself, the way that you dress yourself, and even I I presume Adarsh isn't the given name that you were born with. Yeah, true. How did that process uh, take place? Did you all at once one day wake up and and decide to call yourself by a new name and dress in a new way and eat in a different way? Or was this a, a process well, that carried out over I, time? Um, I moved in with the community, and um, I didn't really have plans one way or another. Um, and this is um, just a personal experience. Mm -hmm. One day I was just, you know, vacuuming or chopping vegetables or something, and, um, you know, I had this experience. Mm. And, um, a spiritual sort of a, a revelatory yeah. experience. Yeah, and mm. then I knew that I had come home, mm. and um, I knew that that this was my path. You know that I would be here forever. And how did you pick the name Adarsh, or was it given to you? It was, it was given to me based on uh, the time and place of my birth. Okay. It was given to me um, by someone who had who was uh, trained in this science. We call it numerology, mm. which is you know, you know, probably similar to systems in other other faiths. And and what is the meaning of a darsh uh, given means, with your birth? Uh, the highest matter of the, of divinity. Oh, well, that's a good name. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> but no pressure or anything, right? Right. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's kind of a floating thing. <laughs> and, you know, and what about Halsa? What is the meaning of Halsa? That means, that means pure one. Mm. And when we, we are given these names, we understand that they're aspirational. Right. And um, uh, I don't, you know, I don't really claim that I am the highest matter of divinity. I don't really claim that I am pure, but that that is my prayer and my intention. Right, right. Beautiful. Well, that's that's a you know, when thinking about a, a, a spiritual transformation, I imagine it can be a very powerful thing to also take on a new. 
a new name, a new identity as sort of an in, a part of that intention, yeah. right? Yeah, very much so. Mm. Yeah. Priscilla, what about you? You Did you grow up as, as a Muslim? I did not, actually. Yeah, I converted um, in college um, when I was almost 18 years old. Wow. And and tell us a little bit of where, where was that and what was your religious upbringing that was, like? That was down in Texas. And um, I had been taking a class on the history of the Middle East. Hmm. And of course, you don't study the Middle East without studying, as we did for the first six weeks of the semester, the three Abrahamic religions that take their root there and so on um, the first six weeks we spent uh kind of two weeks each roughly on overviews of judaism christianity and islam and so that was really my first introduction to the religion and um part of that included reading um certain passages from the quran and um it just it just spoke to me is really all it came down to i didn't know any muslims at the time and um I just felt really drawn to um, what I viewed as a simplicity, mm. a, a call to simplicity, a call to a direct relationship with God, um, and a call to God's oneness. And um, yeah, those those were those were the main concepts that drew me to the faith. So it wasn't so much um, any kind of dogma as it was kind of the bigger picture of it um of journeys are different but, but that was fine and were you uh were you part of a particularly religious household or a tradition that you identified with I before was. that yeah i was um growing up um i'm a fourth generation chicana and growing up um i mean mexican-american culture and roman catholicism are almost one in the same <laughs> in the um, in Latin America. So yes, I come from a very religious um, Catholic family and uh, at the time I'd converted, I'd already been since I was 12, very involved in my church and youth group and I was a lecturer every Sunday. My mm. brothers were altar boys. Uh, my parents and grandparents uh, volunteered within the church um, and in every and any way that we could. Mm. Um, I had all my sacraments by that time. Well, except for, you know, the ones that come when you're older than 17, <laughs> like matrimony and uh -huh. um, holy right and <laughs> ordination, obviously <laughs> didn't get that one. Um, so, but yeah, so I did come from a very religious family. Well, now I can see how you've passed on all that that rigorous community involvement to to all of your kids and your <laughs> your current lifestyle, we're, the way you've raised yeah, them. Yeah, we're we're trying. Yeah, and <laughs> and my husband was like that too. It when we met, that's actually how we met, was through activism and and common causes that brought us together. And so, this was who we were before we met each other. This was who we were when we started our lives together. And so as we've grown our family, um, we just brought them along for the ride. <laughs> definitely, definitely. It's a, it's a big ride. You need one of those extended uh, Winnebago's for, for all the folks right. that you travel right. with. We're in it for the long haul. <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
So you mentioned that uh, you and your husband met doing activism. I'm curious what 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 particular topics and 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 activities you were involved with together when you met. Um, really, the stuff that that um, that you see us doing now. So even mm. though this was almost 30 years ago, we um, at that time were already involved um, in interfaith work and civic engagement and showing solidarity um, on campus with other mm -hmm. um, ethnic. <clears throat> excuse me, showing solidarity on campus with other ethnic and religious groups. And so, um, you know, he was on the board of our university's um, newspaper. And um, we we spoke, we used to have, this was in the time when um, Bosnia was making headlines mm. and the Bosnian War, um, so it was the early 90s. And we would organize rallies um, from our school to our state capital to advocate um, for that and for the Bosnian people um, to state elected officials there. So, um, so it was that. And then we did things like partner with um, Christian fraternities on uh, interfaith programs and finding commonalities, what Jesus means to Muslims and Christians mm -hmm. and um, with African-American sororities on Black History Month events, we would collaborate as well. So so basically where you see us now, <laughs> wherever we can possibly foster relationships and partnerships and, and mutual understanding and, and beyond tolerance, but actual appreciation for the differences that we each bring to the table, um, that, that's where you find us now is where you found us back then. <laughs> so we've, we've literally just you know added some children to bring them along for the ride <laughs> <laughs> awesome that's great honestly the 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 kids are are uh just as inspiring and and terrific leaders in of their own rights even even uh at at quite a young age i've brought my my daughter to a number of events where they've been there clad in their in their boy and girl scout uniforms and uh and she's always been impressed with them as well so so the younger ones Aww. are looking up looking up to them oh thank you Just keep <laughs> them in your prayers it's right especially right now yes. it's a trying time for all of us <laughs> regardless of age definitely definitely and and uh, the younger generations have have uh, a lot that they're gonna inherit so what you were saying before about about community engagement and activism and particularly an in international um uh, this connection between both international issues and interfaith issues is is a great segue to to what I wanted to talk to you about um, about your your activities together this week um, so both you and Adarsh are involved with um, a response an interfaith response a solidarity response to the attack that happened in Afghanistan against the Sikh community um, and I wanted to just take a step back um, because amidst everything with COVID-19 this is a topic, a news event that lots of people may have missed. That it, it probably got swallowed up um, by by everything else that's that's going on in in the world right now in, in responding to to um, COVID nineteen and the pandemic. So, uh, Adarsh, could I ask you? Could you give us a a little? Um, uh, review of just what it is that happened um, in Afghanistan well, and who was affected. Um, the Sikhs uh, have a place of worship that we refer to as a Gurdwara, which mm -hmm. is our temple. Um, 
the word is probably just about the same as mosque or synagogue or church. Um, and the Sikhs were worshipping and they were attacked not by one gunman but by about three or four and that included bombs and grenades. So 25 people, I believe, in total were killed. And um, uh, then several days later, as their caskets were being borne to the crematorium, there was additional gunfire and attacks at which no one was injured. Mm. Um, the Sikh population has been under attack in Afghanistan for years. Um, as I believe that the structure of the government has been deteriorating uh, over a period of time. So there is really not adequate protection for freedom of religion in the country of Afghanistan. And we are now seeking refugee status for the remaining Sikhs so that they can relocate and uh, live in countries which will be hospitable and respectful to uh, different ways of worshiping God. And then I think that's what I enjoy about my relationship with Rizwan and Priscilla is that um, they are so entirely respectful of my ways and I am so entirely respectful of their ways. Mm. So Sikhs have always stood for religious freedom. The only commandment in all of the Sikh scripture is, medit is remembrance of God. Mm. That's all it asks. Mm. However, a person finds that expression or chooses to embrace it is really not something that we care to evaluate. We simply ask everyone to embrace that spirit um, mm -hmm. that allows us all to be our greatest selves. So I love, uh, it's actually never occurred to me that, that Priscilla and I have different faiths. Mm. I have always felt the oneness. Yes. That's beautiful. So Priscilla, building off of that idea, I'm, I, can you tell us a little bit about some of the solidarity efforts that you all have been organizing and, and detail what, um, what you have planned? Yeah, um, sure. Um, I, I want to open by echoing my beloved sister, Adarsha Sentiments. Um, we love you back just as much. <laughs> we are so appreciative, so appreciative of the work that we've done together. Um, all these years here locally and then obviously on a statewide and national level ways that we've been able to partner with um, Adarsh and um, the Sikh Dharma of Virginia and Raj Khalsa Gurdwara. Um, so yes, as Adarsh mentioned, um, we spoke at the vigil last year um, for um, Officer um, at the Dhaliwal, uh, right? Um, I apologize um, for Officer Dhaliwal. And then um, there was the vigil after um, Wisconsin, 
the attack there as well. Mm. Um, and that was also uh, very, thankfully, very well attended at the Gurdwara. Um, it was just, the space was just overflowing. Um, and so it was very meaningful to be part of that vigil and um, connect with everyone on that level as well. Um, and, you know, un unfortunately, especially after 9-11, as um, Adarsh mentioned, because Sikhs are visibly um, identifiable, um, usually because of their dress, uh, and, and because in some ways it's perceived to be similar to how Muslims dress um, with, in terms of the turban, um, unfortunately that has made Sikh Americans targets um, of hate crimes. And not that anybody should be, but it's obvious that this is because people mistake them to be Muslims. Mm -hmm. Not that that would be justifiable, right. um, but certainly it's, 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 even, it's doubly heinous. Right. Um, as a hate crime and so um you know there was so it was last year in 2019 for officer Dhaliwal and um in 2018 there was the california central valley attack um 2012 was the the wisconsin gurdwara so all of these um all of these moments um that we have had the opportunity to connect and stand in solidarity with the Sikh community has been they've been important to us um, as family and especially as Muslims when it comes to religious tolerance. Um, and again, it really should be beyond tolerance, um, but this was um, unfortunately in Afghanistan, um, whether it's ISIS or, um, or the Taliban, unfortunately they've not gotten the message um, that, that this Islamically is wrong mm. um, and that, that these are these are attacks on on the very essence of what a muslim owes to people of other faiths which is safety and mm. and religion freedom of religion and the ability to practice um openly and freely um they in in 2018 um hundreds of muslim scholars from all over the world um gathered um from over I think like 130 countries and um, gathered in Marrakesh in Morocco to reaffirm the Charter of Medina, which was a, a document that the Prophet Muhammad constructed. Um, but from there, they wrote the Marrakesh Declaration and the Marrakesh Declaration's intent, which was put together in 2016, was to reaffirm um, the rights of religious minorities in predominantly Muslim lands. And so it was constructed by scholars as a fatwa um, for them to then go back and take to their countries and beyond uh, to remind um, Muslim countries from in, in a social societal level from, from individual relationships all the way up to um, systemic institutional governmental levels of the rights of minorities in majority in muslim majority countries mm -hmm. and so um this is something that even prior to the declaration that came out in that they wrote in 2016 and prior to that was something it's part and parcel of islam and what it means to be a muslim and has guided all of our work um because uh, my husband and i have partnered with um many religious minorities in muslim majority countries um, on this issue. So 
there was a hope that in the Marrakesh Declaration in 2016 would drive that home, especially since it was written as a fatwa, as a legal mm. um, ruling, um, if you, if, if, if I may, as a legal ruling for Muslims in Muslim majority countries to follow. Yeah. And so, um, so that's where, where it it should apply in Afghanistan, and it did not in this case, and and. The attack, obviously, we condemn as Muslims, and um, and Islam itself condemns such a thing. And there is legal, scholarly basis for saying that this goes against everything that Islam stands for. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what you had uh, organized then for for this particular occasion um, in terms of standing in solidarity with with not just the Sikh community. Um, in Afghanistan, but but um, but by extension in in the U.S. as well. Right. Well, as you mentioned, um, Jack, at the when you know COVID nineteen has dominated the airwaves, right, for all of us, and because it's something that um, it, that everyone is following from not just a local level but a national level, right? We're tuning into what. The federal government is saying, even in places where it's it's not yet the the virus itself has not yet touched local communities, but we're still following that. And then obviously we're following on an international level because there are places that it appeared before it appeared here, China and Italy and so on. So um, so it's something that has kind of united the world in terms mm. of our attention, and um, and previously with. Um, as I mentioned, you know, 2010, 2012, uh, 2018, 2019, whenever there have been attacks on Sikhs or Sikh communities, we have, we've just almost immediately mobilized into action and brought together interfaith vigils, either at the Sikh Gurdwara or um, at, at community centers or at Adams to show that solidarity and remind local Sikh communities that we stand with them and that no matter where hate crimes may strike, here with our same brothers and sisters, we stand shoulder to shoulder, side by side, um, unconditionally. And so we, um, my husband and I realized that, um, you know, we, we had seen the headline of the, um, the attack and um, coincidentally had sent it to each other. Um, we, when, it, when it broke, we weren't, next we weren't together and like physically in the same place at that time um but so when it broke within like five minutes we'd sent it to each other and so um we were up to speed and then um it's not that it was unimportant it's just that COVID-19 I think has just overwhelmed Mm. all of us and unfortunately um that one time that we saw it we talked about it and we were dismayed and you know we talked again about the marrakesh declaration and um we talked about reaching out to the local seat community and and reaching out to adarsh and um and uh dr rejwant and so on um but we didn't talk about getting together and having a vigil and i think that that's really where covid19 kind of put a hard stop not that we thought about it and realized, no, we can't, you know, social distancing, we can't right now. It just wasn't even in our, 
frame of reference anymore. It wasn't even like part of that context anymore that we would get together and have a vigil, which was very, then a few days later we realized, hold on, it's, it's as you said, Jack, the headline just disappeared, mm-hmm. right? It came and then it went. And any other previous time, not only would it have drawn mine and my husband's attention, but you know, we would have reached out to our local Sikh brothers and sisters. We would have um, reached out to elected officials and, and other faith groups and community um, groups about getting together and showing solidarity and having a vigil. And it would have been so fast moving and everyone would have understood the urgency of this and, and just COVID-19 and its current impact on humanity is just making everything hell in comparison and when we realized that it just dawned on us in a very grave and painful way um how wrong that is because it is especially from an islamic perspective um according to islamic tradition if you save one life it's as if you've saved all of humanity and if you take one life it's as if you've taken all of humanity and so um the taking of lives at in in Afghanistan, the taking of state lives there are is as equally heinous and and as equal a stain um, as the taking of all of humanity, mm-hmm. and which puts it on par with the lives that COVID nineteen has taken. Right. Right. So so one is not worse than the other, or or harder or or less mm-hmm. <laughs> bad. They they equally are are urgent matters that should be drawing our attention and so that's when it just um it it dawned on us how were it not for the virus we would have like i said it would have been a fast moving we would we would brought folks together and we would have been within a matter of days we would have been over at darsha's gurdwara and um speaking and bringing people together and and just feeling that community and reminding them of, of our pledge to be there for them and, and to do all that we all that's in our power to ensure their safety um, wherever they may be and so um, as soon th- then it became fast moving once we made that realization then we said okay um, because we have my husband and I have a foundation called Nations and Tribes in Harmony and every Tuesday um, we have a, um, a speaker of a so my husband and I are, are both Muslim and so we have a guest um, community faith-based leader that the keynote and then um, we kind of do a get to know you 101 um, one on 101 <laughs> from their faith and allow them to speak to to the audience to, to everyone gathered about their faith and we do that for about half an hour and then we have about half an hour of Q&A and so we as soon as we realized nope we need to do something about this and it needs to be asap we thought okay well let's take our normal tuesday um event and um the one that's coming up so so last week this was the next one coming up let's reach out to um, the priest that we were having speak and um ask if he wouldn't mind shifting over to another date and this will be when we have our vigil and mm-hmm. it will be virtual and we will ask everyone um to bring candles and we will reach out to faith leaders and um, community leaders and and do what we would have done were it not for the virus and do what we should be doing 
regardless of the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's how this was born. And, um, you know, we reached out to Darsh and, and of course, because we've been working together for such a long time, thankfully, um, the, the, the Raj, um, Raj Khalsa Gurdwara was uh, obviously open to uh, partnering as, as we always do. And we're grateful for that. And so, yeah, and so then now it's, it's tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, Adarsh, Priscilla before was talking about ways in which COVID is um, changing the ways that we do interfaith engagement, solidarity work, service projects. Um, and I'm curious how the Sikh community um, has adjusted the way that it's been doing uh, Adarsh, uh, how it's been doing uh, its service project. We've had to really close down our facilities. Um, we have live streaming where one person uh, does the evening prayer with music and reads from the scripture, but it's one person. Uh, it is not the whole group. Mm-hmm. And um, you have to just watch it on YouTube or Facebook. <laughs> and um, I can honestly tell you it doesn't have the same impact. Yeah. Uh, I have been in duality myself because I am sidelined because of my age. Uh, I'm in my high risk group. Mm. Although, you know, I personally have a sense that that you know this is not intended for me. You know, this this virus, this is not, you know, how I will leave the earth. Um, and yet, I need to respect the law of the land. Mm. And what I'm doing now really is plugging young, able-bodied people into places that they can volunteer. Um, Seats um, in New York City are making community meals that feed thousands of people, specifically first responders, but other people as well. And Sikhs in California, where there's a high concentration of Sikhs, um, are doing the same. So a very uh, essential part of our faith is to feed people. And the way that Sikhs feed people is a um, community meal, which is called Lunger. Mm-hmm. And the longer it never has an invitation list, it never excludes <laughs> anybody, or it never uh, elevates one person. It is simply community, brothers and sisters, sitting randomly. At the time that longer was instituted in the 16th century, it was um, quite shocking to people that they might, in spite of their wealth and position, be seated next to people uh, of poverty and beggars. Mm. It's an so, equalizer, right? Yeah, so that, so um, this has always been part of the teachings of Sikhism, and um, it, is, it is called Lunger, and um, so... 
sign up and help with the preparation of Lunger is considered a great honor. And it is part of the Sikh tradition of Seva, S-E-V-A, which is selfless service. So we want to uh, we want to resume, um, you know, and function fully. But in the meantime, um, the younger people in the community are really rising to the challenge and volunteering and carrying the burden. Um, I feel that this is not my time to do that, except administratively. And um, it's it's sad. Well, it sounds it it sounds like you know it, it. As with most things, each of us have to find um, our particular path of service, right? And 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 recognize our strengths and limitations, and act accordingly. And it sounds great that that you um, are are you know recognizing that the best place for you to be is is at home helping to organize digitally and and put people in touch together if i'm understanding you correctly correct correct and uh, it sounds and it sounds like the lungar has an opportunity even to to be a a a I mean, it's always a service to the community, but a, a really vital service of, of feeding people at a time when, you know, lots of people are shut out from those essential services at this particular moment. Correct. We have been doing that actually since way before COVID. Mm -hmm. um, it's just part of our, our faith and tradition. Um, sadly, there are always people who are hungry um, and... Gladly, we always have that that love of service and that love of of um, bringing healthy, home cooked, vegetarian meals to people who who need it and appreciate it. Well, what, one of the features of our program that we like to do every episode is to give our guests an opportunity to follow up with each other with with any questions that you um, may want to know about um, each other's traditions or life journeys. So I want to open the opportunity for you and, and Priscilla to, to briefly ask uh, if there are any points to discuss, any stories you want to share. Um, I was just uh, making a mental note that I would research the, the Marrakesh Declaration and familiarize myself with it. I really hadn't heard of it. So thank you for that, Priscilla. Sure, of course, you're welcome. Um, we, I'm, I hope that that's because it was never something relevant <laughs> to mm. your life <laughs> from knowing us. I, I hope that that's the reason and not because we failed in making sure that you know and, and are aware of this uh, about us and how important religious freedom for all is to us. Right. Well, I have to say that my work with you is so often about you and Rizwan honoring and acknowledging and including people from such diverse paths, you know, the, the scouts and the elected officials and the, the um, NAACP and all 
groups and and um, my minister said to me, how big is, is this going to go? And I said, as big as Priscilla and Rizwan want it to be because <laughs> I feel like your reach is vast and um, I feel uh, just honored and eager for all the, the subsequent events that we can do together. Thank you. Likewise. And, and yeah, I, um, I think that what you touched on a little bit was probably one of the things that drives uh, my husband and I most in our work, which is that to whatever extent that we can, the calling that drives us the most is to be able to use our voices to elevate others' um, voices. That's really what we're in it for. And I'm, I'm guessing that there's an equivalent um, value within Sikhism that says something to the effect that our, our freedom and our destiny is bound in each other's. And so, you know, I, there's no such thing as working for my own personal freedom or my own agenda or my own advocacy or my own issues if I'm not bringing forward and, and in front of me and elevating other voices and other communities and other needs because our, our, our freedom and our destiny is bound in each other's. And so, um, so yeah, so that's, that's always been our intention and I, I'm very appreciative of the fact that um, you shared that that's something that you have um, felt from us because it means that hopefully, God willing, we're, we're doing something right. <laughs> so, a lot of things, yeah, yeah. There's a seat concept that I would like to share because I feel that it, it so applies to you and Rizwan and that is there is this concept of charity kavah which means, um, by God's grace, I have been given everything, and therefore, I wish good to all. Wow. That is beautiful. You'd be looking at that. It's the ever-rising spirit that, wow. that, you know, informs us and overflows from us. That's beautiful. Thank you. That's very touching. Um, so I I never knew um, in all the many many years that we've worked together I did not know that you were from New York actually do you have family there now um, I have a brother who lives in Westchester and um, he is um, sequestered <laughs> yeah he's in his he's in his own you know safe little house there so he's fine okay good that was going to be my follow-up question was how your how your family was doing yeah well yeah. yeah i know that new york city is the epicenter but he lives not far from okay. the which is another big epicenter so he's well right okay. good i'm glad to hear that and i always remember that um um he had this habit of um carrying little snacks, you know, like gummy bears or pretzel sticks in his pocket. And he would always munch on them from time to time. So I hope he's not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Some habits are hard to break. 
Well, this is this has been really great. Thank you so much for for making yourselves available, and I'm I'm glad that um, we were able to to connect and to hear about about the project. Um, we're recording this on on Tuesday, and and the solidarity vigil um, that you all are organizing is is happening this evening. So um, this will air after that event has taken place. But Priscilla, are there ways um, that people can can be in touch um, to to be involved with ongoing uh, interfaith solidarity uh, efforts or or service projects? Um, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking, Jack. Uh, so first place I would um, recommend checking out because, as um, Adarsh said, the Sikh community. Um, standing up for others and religious freedom is something that's part and parcel to the Sikh faith as well. So um, Sikh Council on Religion and Education, the Sikh Human Development Foundation, uh, the National Sikh Campaign, and then local to us, the Raj Khalsa Gurdwada, uh, they all have Facebook pages. Um, the Interfaith Council Metropolitan Washington is kind of the um, overarching interfaith um, organization in the DC area that's been around I believe for over 40 years <clears throat> and then um, personally my husband and I our foundation the nations and tribes and harmony foundation is on Facebook as well um, so those are all places to find out what our various um, communities are doing and how we're partnering and 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 lifting each other's voices up and, and collaborating in doing so. Great. Well, I want to, again, thank uh, both of you, Adarsh Khalsa and Priscilla Martinez, for, for joining us. And, and I hope that both of you and your, and your family stay safe and healthy, um, both in, in your personal lives and all the work that you're doing out in the community. We wish you the same, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jack. It's been a pleasure. And Adarsh... We will see you virtually soon, and we'll always, God willing, continue to partner in peace and harmony and solidarity. Absolutely. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam, and sat siyakal to you, my dear sister. Sat siyakal to you. Thank you, Jack. Stay healthy. Stay well. Okay. Best yeah. to both of your families. Yeah. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Priscilla Martinez of the Nations and Tribes in Harmony Foundation and Adarsh Khalsa with the Raj Khalsa Gudwara. Big thanks to both of them. And as always, a big shout out as well to my interfaith astronauts, Sue Katz-Miller and Miranda Hovmeyer and our musical master, Jeff Philosopher. And thank you, dear listeners, for joining us uh, for this hour. You can find our entire back catalog of interfaithish episodes wherever you find quality podcasts as i said at the beginning of the show check out some of our bonus content featuring multi-faith perspectives on how covid19 pandemic is affecting communities around the world i've had an amazing time collecting these stories during the past week so i hope you'll have a listen we're on social media at interfaithish Keep writing us about the interfaith ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail on our special listener line, 202-599-2953. 
Thanks to everyone who's called in recently with their inspiring stories about how you're lifting spirits and connecting with community during the pandemic. I shared a bunch of those messages last time and I'll continue to do so. Interfaith-ish will be back in two weeks, which gives me time to work on my audio setup at home for these Zoom calls. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at TacomaRadio.org. Hey, Jack, this is Nima. Uh, a bunch of friends in the neighborhood just got together to celebrate the new year, the Baha'i community, faith community, as you can guess. And because of the whole social distancing stuff, they did an online dance party. Uh, my friend Elahe used a friend of hers who's a DJ, and she DJed the first hour, and then we kept on going on um, for about two hours. Um, it's really nice. I've never done an online dance party. Everyone was having fun. I brought a lot of joy to people's Cases, I feel like there are at least like 20, 30 people there, but it was pretty, pretty inspiring. I mean, this is Joshua Salam, the Muslim chaplain at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. We had a small Friday prayer, and because of physical distancing and uh, but still trying to remain socially connected, we uh, we only had myself and two other people do the service. Some uh, religious opinions allow a minimum of three people to have the Friday prayer. But what we did was we broadcasted it on Zoom so that other students who were being quarantined or, you know, back home in their cities and not really able to get to the Friday prayer, they could tune in and, and listen to the sermon. And uh, what we did afterwards is uh, we had about 30 people on, so we created small chat rooms so that they could talk to each other as if we were still in our regular room as we normally talk after prayer, you know, checking in on each other, how's it going, what have you. And people just really, even though it was virtual and it was very different, they really appreciated it. And some people just um, verbalized how much that meant to them to still be connected and they're looking forward to next Friday. And so I just wanted to call in and say that, uh, you know, for Muslims, the Friday prayer is more than just a prayer. It's about social connections and uh, staying connected so in this in this day and age of what they're calling social distancing i'm hoping that people don't socially distance but stay connected socially but just keep their physical distance to prevent the spread of corona and god bless everybody take care